welcome back to the Shift Drink Podcast uh, with Arthur Black. Hey, hey, hey. Ed Rudisell, and with us today we have Ben Jones from Rum Clement. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Thanks for uh, recording with us today, and we've got an event coming up tonight um, with Rum Clement, so some really incredible cocktails that are going to be rolling out from some of the local bartenders here in Indianapolis, and, and Ben's going to be uh, acting as a judge tonight and hopefully sending some well not hopefully somebody's going to get to a trip to martinique tonight who else is judging we have josh mason judging and then the audience actually will be putting in their vote for as that third judge if in the case of a you know tiebreaker or things like that so or love the people's choice of plenty of time to pass out 20s right exactly it's the cheapest way to get to martinique that's what i heard (laughs) (laughs) absolutely well i don't know if you pass out the 20s in in here it might be on the edge, yeah. on the edge. Well, uh, I'm sure all the Not drinks are the, going, uh, all the drinks are going to be great, and and uh, to get to this, to get to the final round, I mean, they're probably all spot on. And when was the last time you were in Indu? About a little over a year ago, I think. It's about beginning of the uh, beginning of last summer, so I get the tail end of this summer. But uh, did you get in last night? Uh, no, I got in about an hour ago. <laughs> yeah. So. Arthur got to try some, uh, we were talking about it a little bit earlier, Ben, the uh, Chalong Bay Agricole from Southern Thailand. Oh, uh, so crazy. Pook it, oh. not fuck it. But um, I'm not sure that you've had an Agricole before, have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, have I you? Have. Well, you got a nice glass in front of you. We're all sitting here drinking uh, tea punch. For ben. sure. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. We, we nice to join absolutely. Us. Thank you so much. Traditionally, ben. that's how we start uh, any sort of... Uh, aperitif uh, any sort of reception meeting dinner yeah i was uh, gonna say <laughs> i, I Life, saw a uh, lot of beginnings and endings <laughs> all all related to tea punches yes. um, so i wanted to kind of go back into your history a little bit ben and like talk about how you got into the business because you uh, split your time between martinique and the united states at this point right well when i was younger i mean not so much split but um uh, my mother uh you know her family is originally from martinique and um so we, we uh, definitely traveled uh, to Martinique, um, definitely when the weather was colder, because um, I grew up in Maine. And um, so, so, you know, from a very, very early age, I had my first exposure to uh, tea punch and rum agricole. And, and, um, how, how old are we talking for your first tea punch? Uh, probably, uh, we're talking age six. Oh, actually, no, before that. I don't know about first tea punch, but my, my first trip was before that. The first tea punch I remember was last night. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good way to put it. That's a great answer. Uh, so you, I mean, I remember when we were down in Martinique at the Great House, I mean, you were talking about like running around, playing in the courtyard and like. Yeah, no, I have the pictures, um, that uh, my mother loves to, uh torture me with i was wearing my zips i had really short shorts and uh you know and uh some sort of mickey mouse t-shirt going on there um and uh no i have fond memories the distillery was uh, an, op- an operation and quite honestly it was probably the first time i'd ever been that close to any sort of industrial factory or anything you know and so you have lots of gears in motion and sugar being crushed and i mean <clears throat> for i'm sure any child it's uh, quite an experience to see uh, how that all comes to to be, and um, and particularly the way we produce our rum, watching um, something as simply as uh, harvesting sugarcane and, and crushing it, and then seeing cane juice, and then distillation pretty much right in front of you, it's um, it's not complicated to to follow the process, and and um, even after you know multiple 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 visits, I, I still 
uh, MMAs and it allows me to scratch my head every once in a while. It's like, this is cool. Like, I, I, this is really, really cool. I'm, oh, I still am in my youth. That's what I was going to say. I'm like, I'm, I'm 40 years old and I still get giddy seeing that cane being crushed and cut and like, yeah. I'm like, yay. And yeah, I love all, factories. all the smells of breweries and wineries and distilleries. Um, it's, it's pretty cool stuff. It never gets old. And rum is only one of what, I guess, two primary genres of spirits that actually has its own sugar source. Brandy being the other one being fruit based. So you don't actually have to go through the sacrification process of say grain going into vodka or corn going into bourbon um is that right is, are there any other genres of spirit that don't have to go through sacrification i don't think so uh, that i would, think it's just sugar cane with rum and sugar cane would be an obvious brandy. one yeah yeah so they yeah. have their own natural levels of sugar so those of you might that might not know not all sugar is fermentable um you're really talking about fructose and glucose and when you're talking about um, grain, barley, you're looking at maltose, and if you're looking at agave, you're looking at inulin, and they gotta they gotta do some mojo to, to get the sugar to a state where you can actually ferment it. This is an entirely different Arthur than we had during the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were only a minute in before you were already like, whoa! Oh God, yeah, yeah. That was uh, that was a good good time, and I'm I'm sure the episode when we released that. Um, yeah, hanging just a with few the wall, just a few weeks. Yeah. Um, so you didn't actually live in Martinique, but you spent a lot of time there. And you no, 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 never lived there. Um, <clears throat> I um, I um, certainly enjoy a nice place to visit and. Um, and really just getting down to the roots. Uh, Martinique is the only actual, like, physical designation, any act, the only actual appellation that is in the world of rum, right? Certainly for rum, yes. Um, you know, there's several um, AOCs for spirits in, in France right. and for the brandies. Um, rum Agricola is actually the only uh, white spirit AOC, so even, like, there's no white eau de vie. Um, from France that has an AOC. And then, of course, yeah, to your, to your point, uh, for rum, absolutely. Yeah, so when we talk about an appellation, an appellation is a delimited agricultural geographic area. So if you ever heard of the wine Chablis, it's not a wine, it's a place that makes Chablis. Napa Valley would be an appellation for wine coming out of, of California. And certain spirits that are out there, say, um, in the case of brandy, you have cognac coming from the Charente, which is an appellation. You have um, Armagnac um, that has its own appellation as well. And Martinique is unique in that in all the wine producing, uh, rum producing countries that are out there, Martinique is the only one that actually has a legislated, delimited geographic designation or an appellation. So this is still a family owned distillery. Yes. You're fourth generation? So I'm fourth generation of the family that, that uh, started the Clement Distillery. There is another Martinique family, the Ayat family, who um, came involved in the, in the 80s and then um, have since got involved with uh, other distilleries, uh, most notably Rome GM in, in Martinique, and uh, just recently um, uh, the St. Lucia Distillers group of companies in uh, St. Lucia. So that operates under the umbrella of, of House of Agricole? House of Agricole here is in the United States, and um, okay. so that's <clears throat> that is our portfolio. Each of the uh, distilleries and each of the brands um, produced are independent of each other, um, but managed under one sort of umbrella um, within the Ayat family. It's um, Ben Ayat is the is the owner, the proprietor. He is the singular owner, and and um, he's newer, and I guess into the rum and, and spirit business on the whole. I would say that you know he. 
developed his companies uh, in other industries, but uh, Rum Agricole, as you well know, Ed is is really you know to the to the thread and to the sort of heartstrings of what is Martinique and and the culture and the tradition and and sort of the pulse of of the culture that we have in in um, Martinique, and so really bringing light, bringing the spotlight to um, to Agricole Rum and and a little bit to the culture is, is really about proliferating and, and, and supporting and developing these brands um, to be not just local regional brands, but to you know take it a, a stronger international uh, stage position on the international stage where we are very much involved with growing and and developing the overall category um, for ourselves and as well as for our colleagues and comrades in in, in Martinique. So, in your particular distillery, how long has that been around? What was when was that founded? Uh, Clermont was founded in 1887, and actually, in fact, Romagnan was founded in 1845. So, a bit older then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, Jam was awesome. I loved it when we were down there. Yep. I mean, up in the mountains, perfect weather. I mean, super picturesque. We love the juice. But there's a huge difference in uh, production levels as well between GM and and absolutely. Mont, right? yeah, as far as um, <clears throat> you know, rum, rum GM, and um, and the estate Font Crevy is uh, in northern Martinique, right in the uh, backside of the of the volcano, and we're quite proud of the uh, microclimatic terroir that uh, we enjoy uh, at this estate so much so that you know we're committed to only sourcing the sugarcane just from this estate and um so that certainly caps a little bit of how much we can do um but you know as you saw the uh the 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 whole story and, and the whole project and how it intertwines and comes to be um growing sugarcane r- literally right on the slopes of the volcano and then within 30 to 40 m- minutes later the same sugarcane that we watched uh, cut and in fact some of the stuff we cut ourselves um, 30 to 40 minutes later is crushed into fresh cane juice and then you have um, immediate fermentation um, into a sugarcane wine that's less or more about 5% uh, alcohol and, and I'm that's assuming about, you guys are probably using ambient yeast just natural indigenous yeast well you have the, the natural yeast from the sugarcane but it's supplemented by a, an organic uh, Belgian baker's yeast frequently okay, so used in, in Belgium a little bit later well, that comes in the um, basically as you start to see uh as the producers are more interested to become, you know, to have more consistency and to be able to, to control fermentation so that we can always have a, um, you know, a pretty consistent product all the way through. I would tell you within the last 30, 40 years, that's um, a commitment that all the producers have made so that, um, and, and certainly aided to the fact the AOC is, is there so that we all um, produce a traditional product that we know as Martinique Rum Agricole. Um, but there, under the rules of the AOC, there's plenty of poetic license to um, to Take allow the, the hand of the maker to to uh, have his fingerprints on. Yeah, the I wanted to touch on that in a minute, but I think for some of our listeners, um, agricole is something entirely different. They don't really understand what it is. And in fact, I think a lot of people out there in the world, um, particularly in the United States, when you think rum, you think of this terrible beverage that you had in college that you mixed with Coke or came in a plastic handle that you definitely didn't want to spend much time with but you probably spent more time than necessary with but agricole is an entirely different beast um it's one of my obsessions uh that and like crazy high ester jamaican rum i could live the rest of my life on a desert island with those two choices 
Um, and but, two great choices there. I mean, they couldn't be further from uh, from each other uh, as far as similar. <laughs> there similar is a line, though. There is a line because you, there's definitely that, that funkiness that you get from both, but where that's coming from is different. Yes, yeah, sure. You know, um, where you get a lot more of that terroir. But I, w- I wanted you to touch on, like, I mean, what is rum agricole? Like, how is that made differently than any other rum that's made from, like, molasses and such? Well, let's, let's just break it down. So you've got your agricole versus industrial to start, and then you have geographical differences, like influences, French influence rums, Spanish influence rums, and you have age and non-age. So if you can kind of walk us through that and give us just a tutorial on rum. How long is this podcast going for? (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I would say that, um, uh, as you correctly pointed out, um, most people familiar with rum are more used to and more conditioned to rum that's made from molasses. That would be the traditional style of rum that most, uh, that's how rum was born more than 400 years ago. Um, and rum was born simply uh, as a byproduct of the sugar trade. Uh, so as, <clears throat> as people were producing a lot of sugar, um, they were processing, boiling, and, and, uh, and processing sugar that they had cut into the sugar crystals that we all know very well, natural raw sugar. Uh, they're always left over with a sort of that sticky industrial black goo that we all know as molasses today. And, um, you know, these were, these were quite resourceful, uh, colonists. And, um, certainly as they didn't have uh, grapes and grain and barley to, to make beer and, and, uh, you gotta make alcohol somewhere. somewhere. And, and so sure, certainly you can imagine that as they have these buckets and vats of, um, molasses that was, came off of the uh, production of, of the sugar, and just being outside and you start to see some bubbles action and that's natural fermentation, they pretty much figured out real quick that uh, we can distill this stuff. And uh, you start to see rum born, uh, the, the rum that we know, right. uh, like to be born that way. But there a are, shift kind of was made when Europeans kind of figured out the sugar beets also made sugar and there was no reason to trek sugar across from the Caribbean back to Europe at that point. Certainly, that's a that's a big impetus to how uh, you see the transition and the transformation of the sugar industry in Martinique and around the French Caribbean to rum agricole or agricultural rum. Um, most notably, this happens in Martinique um, as a result of the Great Sugar Crisis. Before uh, <clears throat> all of that, there was already a lot of experimentation, and people actually, the pr- producers, had already start to make rum in the agricultural style from cane juice rather than from molasses. JM was one of the first pioneers to do that. Um, but as the need to basically salvage uh, the local economy and more so the political, social, economic environment of, uh, of the island, of the region, um, you, start, you start to see um, leaders uh, sort of ratify everyone to, to, to rally people around this uh, notion of, of making rum agricole rum from fr- fresh pressed sugar cane juice rather than from uh, producing sugar because the market had completely died at that point. And um, it was actually after when you start to see uh, the activities that happened in World War One and later on World War Two, where there was a huge call for French made spirits where after the distillers had been taken over um, by the by Z Germans um, <laughs> that uh, there was Z this Germans. there was this call for for distilled spirit for the soldiers and, and whatnot. And all of a sudden, as this agricultural style of rum came to be, um, there was all of a sudden a, a huge demand for spirits. And I, I would say that sort of as a big um, step leaping forward 
uh, step leaping forward into how Remarkable really comes to be where it's a solidified product that you know everyone kind of rallies around and and um, the sugar industry moves on. You know, it's just so a little different ways. First major distinction: molasses equals industrial, fresh juice equals agriculture. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, I just wanted to uh, on that point with my fellow friends in the UK who love their rum. It's one of the most best. It's probably the one of the best developed overseas rum markets that I, I've I've been in. And um, and the industrial term is a direct. French translation of rum made from molasses from that term. But you can imagine that it has a negative connotation. So right. I personally am quite careful just to say, look, that's a direct French translation, which is better translated for everyone to be more in that traditional style, um, simply because it's never the intention to so much offend uh, anyone with that, sure. sort of that, with that word choice. So so with, with agriculture, I mean, the... Uh how much of the world's rum is actually made in this manner? You said that, I mean, obviously Martinique actually has an appellation. There are mm -hmm. rules. If you want to put AOC Martinique on that bottle, you've got to follow the, uh, the guidelines. But there are other areas that don't have the appellation that still make this in a similar style, like in Guadeloupe, uh, Mauritius. Then you get starting to see... Renian Island, yes. Right, exactly. Do you know a, a, kind of an idea of how much? It's definitely less than 3%. It's probably even less than 2%. It's hovering around between just before, just over 2%. Um, you know, and there is, you can go further and further into how, <clears throat> where you are going to draw the line about what is rum agricole. I mean, I'm one that would include rum barbecue from Haiti. Some of people wouldn't, but I would include them. Um, that doesn't include cachaça because cachaça is a huge huge uh, voluminous category of spirits that kind of has a, an identity crisis right now <laughs> but let, let's, that's a, that's probably a different podcast and, yeah and we haven't <laughs> quite figured out who that person is going to be maybe we'll get Jim Rondel on now that he's with Novo Fogo but, yeah but yeah I mean it but Rome Agricole has been you know is, is I, I, I sort of more tend to try to um, compare Rome Agricole to be like the single malt of the rum category um, just because that you know and I wanted to answer your question about, you know, geographical distinctions. I guess this is my uh, sort of uh, lead into that part. But I kind of consider it, and it seems to me easier for me when I meet um, different people who are so interested in the way we, we produce our rum and, and trying to wrap their head around it, is that I like to compare and contrast um, the, the big, wide, vast, deep rum category with another category of spirits, is, which I find as equally as big and deep and wide as vast, which is whiskey. And, and it seems to be that whiskey uh, certainly got out there well ahead of the game. Um, you seem to have a lot more um, influential characters who wanted to work and play nice with each other in, the, in all the good intentions of educating the market, which has only proven to be uh, successful, as we can all see what's happened with whiskey. Um, whiskey is a little bit easier to wrap your head around. Um, when you look, think about American whiskey and specifically bourbon, um, a lot of people here in Indianapolis can wrap their head around where Kentucky is and what the uh, mash bill of a, a typical bourbon is and where those distilleries if are. If they can't wrap their head around where Kentucky is, <laughs> then... Hey, I just, I, just, I just leave it out there. Yeah, but, an hour south of Indianapolis. But, but moving forward, I mean, they also can also figure out, you know, Canadian whiskey and the traditional historical um, styles of, of whiskey that comes out of Canada and, and the, 
uh, essential role that it played in, in the overall beverage culture of whiskey and be, before, during, and post-prohibition. Um, people also simply can start to wrap their heads around the, the nuances and differences of, of, of Irish whiskey and where that comes from, obviously, because it's right there in the name as well as in Canada. Um, and you get to scotch, blended scotch versus single malt. And then even deeper into single malt, people are able to, just with their nose, with their palate, with, their, um, with the taste, they can start to actually pull together why these uh, whiskeys from different parts of Scotland have such a unique, different flavor profile, and they can attach that to a place on the map via Isla versus Speyside versus Highland whiskeys. And then you've got a whole other category of international whiskeys led by the Japanese. And, you know, the, there's a large, large whiskey drinking audience that's able to really break that down. And, and the fact that there's such a large audience, you know, just through that sort of natural, let's say, call it word of mouth or, or having the, those great experiences with bartenders and merchants, they're able to put those all together. And unfortunately, I don't think that just happens for rum as of yet. That's right. something we're working on. So, I, Arthur, I really appreciate the fact that you know you immediately jump to the cultural and ancestral distinctions of rum, which is something I do believe in. Um, so, while it is not as easy to just put your finger on a map and say, "Oh, they make this kind of rum here," if you kind of can dig or dig deep into the um, you know the history and the culture and the ancestral. Uh, origins of these islands and these nations and these regions and these styles of rum, it's easy to then start to understand, well, you know, the Spanish, uh, as they were producing their rum and developing their style of rum, when they went to go to, to try to continue to improve the quality of that rum and they aged their rum, they did that via methods of Solera style of aging, for example. And where did they borrow that from? Spanish style brandy and Jerez and sherry. And, you know, when the English wanted to try to improve and, 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 and uh, improve the, the quality of their rum, they turned to spicing their rum with different cloves and vanilla, like the local Indian spices. And you see the, the advent of spiced rum. And then, of course, you have within that category Navy strength and Demerara styles and, and whatnot. And then, of course, you know, ending with the French is that you can see that um, just in the style of the spirit overall and the character that, you know, we mimicked the traditions of how fine eau de vie and brandy were made. And so we went into fermenting a sugarcane juice into a sugarcane wine and distilling an eau de vie from sugarcane, not so different than what uh, our, uh, you know, our counterparts in uh, France were already doing. And we adopted uh, what's now today known as a Creole copper still, which is just simply a refashioned, remodified Armagnac still. And we, in the rules of the AOC in Martinique, you know, they're not so far away different than the way Armagnac is made, the way it's distilled, the type of barrels we use, um, and so on and so forth. And just in the method of how we're aging, when we lose angel share, the evaporation of the rum from the barrel, we're always topping off with rum from the same batch from a neighboring barrel. That's the wiage, that's the act of topping off, which is completely on the opposite side of the spectrum of what the Solera system of. Right. So you see these really, let's just call three principal hegemons within the overall rum category, and they really take on their own specific identities, and I don't find it so, so different than American whiskey versus Canadian whiskey versus Scotch whiskey. Um, but all of that information that we just, I just uh, rattled out to you is probably not as well understood and well known. And, and it's through educational podcasts like this and, you know, a lot of work with different bartenders and merchants that are, you know, getting that information out there that there is a lot of curious, curious, um, you know, consumers, drinkers out there who, who really appreciate all of that. And it starts to 
be able to connect the dots between what you have in your nose, what you have in your glass, what you have in your palate, with what that sort of historical ramification can be. And then you start to see these rums kind of come into their own and come into their own place. I mentioned single malt because I think that rum agricole is so distinctive that there's really truly no parallel. So it's very easy to, to you know to, to tell the difference between rum, uh, an agricole rum, uh, let's say from Martinique, versus you know a rum from Central America that can be a lot heavier and stickier and sweeter and whatnot. And well, that leads me to exactly where I was going to lead around to. So for our listeners out there that are, this is all new information for them. You've got a lot of history. You understand how important this is to the island of Martinique and French islands now. But you know when you are tasting this, as we are currently, Ben's pouring himself a, another tea punch. That's I, water. I uh, beat him. <laughs> I beat him to the punch. I think on that one. But oh. Arthur, you wanna you wanna top off there a little bit? Not yet. Maybe I'll wait a second. Yeah, perhaps he learned his lesson in the last episode. <laughs> He's just letting the rum open up in yeah, that glass. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. He gave some really, despite how deep the rabbit hole goes, and obviously it, it, it does in fact go it's deep, deep uh, within all of the different genres of, of, of spirits, whether you're talking about whiskey um, or we're talking about rum, um, it can be a lot of information. And you did an amazing job in, in summarizing sort of the, the, the primary genre. So if somebody's out there and they, they want to buy a bottle of this, I mean, what... What can they expect? Well, in closing with that, well, that's where I'm going with this. In closing with that, if anyone can come in here and you are, you gave them a, a, a glass of Macallan 12 and then a glass of Maker's Mark, we all agree they're both whiskeys. We also can agree, without even looking at the, you know, what bottles those glasses came from, that they're completely different. And, and most people can say, that's American and that is Scotch. They're very distinct. And- they're very distinct. And that's what I think that that's... that's where we need to go with the rum conversation on the whole and that people need to get to have the vocabulary. They need the adjectives. They need the flavor descriptives and the, and the, just the aromatic descriptions. And, and then behind that, how do we get there? And that really helps with, you know, a little bit of that history, but also with usage. Um, you know, it's the same thing going back to that whiskey talk. You know, I don't know how most people would feel about if someone came into the bar and ordered a, a Manhattan with Jameson. It just doesn't seem like a normal call out there, and and it's the same thing where you know people went out well, there and said, "No, Jameson fans love the damn Jameson." <laughs> well, my point is that you know you don't see. I, I hope I hope that we don't see so many people trying to go to a bar opening a uh, ordering a tea punch with Bacardi. Uh, <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But no, maybe there's fine. a couple of Bacardi fans out but there that know, just love like their Bacardi. Two different. different As an operator, sure. though, we don't. So this is a category that's so misunderstood, or maybe not misunderstood, but like just not understood entirely. So we do a lot of education uh, at our bar um, about agricole, and we actually do a tea punch service. Uh, but you, you know, I don't think it, we have had anybody come in and order a tea punch without us first educating them on what that actually is. Now we do sell quite a lot of tea punch with different expressions from House of Agricole, from uh, the Jam, the Clement, the uh, Damoiseau. Um, so, you know, you've got some options here, but like, you're right. I mean, no one's ordering a tea punch with Bacardi because they don't simply know what a tea punch is. But when we first introduced someone to Agricole, and Arthur's had it a couple times last week, we got to try some dirty, funky Agricole from uh, Southern Thailand. But, um, you know, I mean, the, the expressions, the nose you get on the palate, what you get, it's entirely different. Uh, I've gotten into the debates personally uh, at some people with uh, distillers at some rim festivals about uh, terroir. You know, they, 
can you taste where this was made, where it was grown, everything around it, the, the climate, the atmosphere. And you lose that when you refine down to the point of molasses. That's gone. That The essence of that cane and that picks up, like like you said, a jam, you know, it's uh, grown on the slopes of a, of a volcano. And uh, I have been in debates with guys that swear they have terroir out of their molasses rums, and I just don't buy it. I'm sorry if you're one of those producers out there, but uh, feel free to try to convince me otherwise in the future. I'm, I'm My mind's open. I'm, I'm happy to have that proven... Uh, I'm happy to be proven wrong in that case, but when it comes to agriculture, they are expressively, explicitly, explicitly different. I mean, from... You got this small island and across the board, I mean, you can call it. So, I mean, what, what kind of notes are people, uh, you, you know, going to experience when they sip into a... a a glass of agricola or a tea punch or yeah for me the, um, <clears throat> the tea punches um, I mean if you're not drinking it totally uh, you know neat by itself to really go after and try to capture those natural aromatic organic characters that you're going to get in the, in the spirit itself the tea punch is also a great vehicle to do so um, simply because I mean at least the way that I watched everyone make theirs today which is um, you know most fashionably known as tea punch crude uh, it's very, very, very little uh, uh, sugar or lime. Um, let you know. Let the uh, body of the spirit. Let let the personality of the spirit. You know, take control of the glass and take control of your um, uh, of your palate and and show what it's what it's made to do. Um, you know, we should pause for a second and mention that a tea punch. It's a very easy uh, drink to make at home. Uh, you need a bottle of Agricole um, from Martinique, preferably or Clermont and um, sugarcane syrup. So this is not a simple syrup that uh, a lot of people out there are familiar I'll with. I'll say you, you can also use a, a good um, sugar in the raw. There you well. go. Yeah, yeah. That, and that works. And just a little bit of lime, but you don't want to go uh, straight lime juice because the, uh, the actual uh, peel of the lime it expresses those oils into the drink as well. So you're essentially drinking a glass of booze with, like you said, when we were drinking it, Rude, we're, we, you're, you're touching it with just a little bit of sweetness and a little bit of acid and oils, but uh, for the most part, you're letting the expression of the, of the rum come through. So. Yeah, let it, no, let it do its thing, and, and then, I mean, I'll tell you that, um, <clears throat> you know, for jam, for me, you know, I'll, I'll give away my own, you know, personal findings. Uh, if, if that's the right term, but uh, you know, for me, jam is, is super fruity and, and kind of spicy, and, and gives me a lot of like warm, like biscuits and, and fresh uh, croissant, uh, you know, yeastiness going on to it. Where on Clement, you get more of that sort of drier, earthier, vegetal, beany, um, you know, vanilla bean sort of flavor to it. You know, it's it's kind of like when you just cut your lawn, but it's a little bit too long, and you and you cut it, and you get those fresh cut dandelions going on there. Um, just more of like a more of like a sexy, more feminine, grassy, floral uh, style of agricole, in, in my opinion. And then when you jump over to Guadalupe, um, really hot and arid, and uh, and really right on that sort of eastern tip of, uh, of Guadalupe, you got a lot of salinity coming into it, a lot of brightness. It's you know it's very much like eating like you know Kalmata olives and and you know and oysters and you Definitely know fatty uh, iberico yeah. ham to it. And you get some rums from um, from other parts of Guadalupe to that are you know really super funky because of you know that that really really dank sort of uh tropical hot humid climate they have on the other side of Guadalupe and, and um and when you get to uh the western shores of, of Martinique it's much much hotter climate 
less of a sea breeze, you're going to get higher bricks levels and you're going to get more fruit over there. So, you know, I think that's the chore of the hand of the maker that is each distiller is to really work with um, their own uh, terroir and the sugar cane that they prefer to work with. And, and, you know, that's why we really only distill one time and we distill at a lower ABV so that we capture non-alcoholic parts, which is really the personality of the spirit. Now, that's and, part of the AOC, the appellation as well, right? You, I mean, you are restricted from distilling too, to too high of a proof. Yes, we distill within that window of 65 to 75% ABV. By law. Mm-hmm. So that gives that a greater expression of terroir. And I, one of my favorites is the Clement Kembleu. Uh, it's the way I drink a tea punch very often at the end of work. In fact, I have, um, I have my personal bottles at all the restaurants. So uh, if I get off work and I want to drink, the bartenders know that's what I'm going to drink. I'll either have that in a daiquiri or I'll have it as a tea punch. Yeah. Um, and I have my also my hidden bottle of uh, cane syrup. So... <laughs> I very often get customers like, what is that bottle that's hiding behind the other bottle? <laughs> Never your mind. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> just walk away. Or you could do me a favor and just put it on the cocktail menu and we could all... They're on the cocktail we could, menu. We could no, all share. No, they're, they're there. <laughs> There's they're the there. Kembla. Oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah, well, the problem is when I bring special stuff back that's not available, that's personal consumption only. Oh, that's different. Uh, yeah, my that's bottle different. of... Uh, I When I was down in Martinique, and uh, I guess that was in March with, with you, Ben... And uh, a group from Seattle. We were with uh, Kay Perry, Jim Rondel from uh, Rumba, with a great crew from D.C., one of my favorite drinking towns, period. Like, they're just an amazing group of people, everybody working Jesse in that Clark town. Jesse Clark was on that trip. I mean, they're just, they're, they're, they're killing it over there. And then there was a, a uh, Brooke Arthur was with us. Yeah. I think this is now every single episode we've mentioned Brooke uh, with House Spirits. Again, I'm going to reiterate, Brooke is my spirit animal, yeah. you know. Need, hey Brooke, how yeah. you doing out there? I mean, when you're when you're finding yourself in a having a shitty day, just channel your inner Brooke Arthur. Uh, yeah, and we had a blast down there, um, and I don't think I don't want to necessarily say you can't understand it until you see it. But once you see it, you're a, a life convert. I mean, the, the love that goes into it. You're also it's a, still a, a French island, so it is by far the cleanest. Yep. country I have been in in the Caribbean. I mean, there's not a single cigarette butt on the side of the road. There's not a piece of trash, no litter, no nothing. Everything's new. All the street signs are freshly painted. So um, you can imagine my th- when I was three years old, I fell in love and I'm still there now. <laughs> oh, I mean, I've not, we were looking for some photos um, a couple of days ago um, to address... Well, actually, we were looking for a reference for our Domoso uh, mural that we have painted here. And yeah, we were we were really missing the. That's a, a that was, that's cool. I mean, I that was in. that was a big surprise for you. We intentionally kept that offline. We we asked people not to post that. I saw it. So, so here at Black Market, we have um, one of our um, beer sales reps, Lou. Hello, Lou. Uh, that works for Cavalier D- Distributing. Um, was a fine arts major in college. We were discussing this mural that we love so much in Guadalupe uh, at Damaso, and she said, I'll come in and do it for you. And so we asked everybody to please don't, uh, don't, don't tell anybody. Just for me. Um, because we want Ben to have a little bit of a shock when he walks in the door to see that we've faithfully re- recreated a, a wall on the distillery uh, at, at Damaso. It's, uh, <laughs> it's quite epic. I mean, I, uh, I already sent the picture off to uh, Hervé Damozo down in uh, Guadalupe. So. Ah, perfect. Yeah. I mean, we, we really, so when at the point when we were down in Guadalupe, 
I had never had Domo Uh It was not available in our market. Um, I had a blast there. We had a lot of fun. We obviously got to hang out and his like home and I got Hervé's pool. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> got to hang out in the pool, drink a bit, but um, that was entirely new for us. So I mean, we now have it in market, and yet you like what you're talking about, like kind of the notes you're getting. Yeah, it's it's way funkier. You got like this heavy earthiness. Well, you were um, asking about AOC before, and so you know. Guadalupe uh, quite intentionally has not um, gone after trying to get the same AOC status in Martinique and they really like the liberty to have a little bit more uh, free will to do what they do um, they do have uh, what's equivalent to like a IGP or maybe like a DOC it's a, an AO it's not the full AOC but which all means that they they produce in the same style uh, same method of quality standard of quality same method um, but they also allow themselves um you know, less restrictions in the way that um, Guadalupe actually still produces a lot of sugar. In fact, more than 50% of all the sugar that's grown in Guadalupe still um, is intended for sugar production. And so they are really? working. Oh, absolutely. And so while they're, um, they're not, you know, uh, they're not restricted to the sugar varietals that we are using in Martinique, they use um, different sugar varietals altogether. And so actually, what, 12 different canes you can use? We in do in Martinique, yeah. In fact, in Guadalupe, I think there's only one sugar varietal. Um, their sugar industry is still subsidized by the French government, and they keep it pretty you know, lean and mean and very easy to, and not so complicated. And, and uh, so they're <clears throat> we're, they have sugar um, at Damoiseau uh, growing in the estate, but uh, what's remarkable about Damoiseau on the whole as a family and as a producer, they're, they're fairly new to the game. They, st they started in 1942. They took over their distillery from a, uh, the previous family that came from Martinique to, that set it up. Um, but they're now, uh, there are nine distilleries in Martinique, and, but they're producing a, about 55% all of the rum made in, in Guadeloupe. Um, is coming from Damoiseau. And so as there are nine distilleries in Guadeloupe, uh, this one distillery down was always by far the by far the most popular. And when we talk about Guadeloupe, that uh, that also in, means to include the French side of Saint Martin, Saint Bart, uh, Marie Galant. Um, that's the whole department of Guadeloupe. So you see Damoiseau quite often throughout the French Caribbean and for sure all over um, the country of France. And uh, they by far are the leading ambassador of Guadeloupean rum. Um, but they're using the sugar cane, so it's different than from Martinique. They're very much in an uh, arid side of the island, so they're getting really big, funky flavors, and a lot of that, you know. Definitely. Um, yeah, and it's they get a lot of, of dirtiness, that. but in a good way, like, oh, you, so like uh, Arthur, I think is referred to as olive tapenade. I, mean, I always say kind that's of that's a olive, good one, olive tapenade. Olive, yeah. olive brine is how I've typically referred to it. You know, you get that definitely like. That mushroomy, and you can't truffle. deny, yeah, definitely. and you can't deny when you walk around the distillery that you know they have that natural airborne fungus, that natural mushrooms that are literally on the walls of the distillery. That you know, in the, yeah, that in those, was striking to me. Those open we top fermenters. I mean, don't tell me that's not bringing an added influence into the room. There was like the black mold. That's growing, what it is, right? Uh, across the the, yeah. the buildings, that, which was they were like very protective of it. They were, they, so, so they celebrate that. I mean, you know, you go to other producers that they would be, you know, if you were to keep that clean, you'd have to be working on that, you know, once a week. And, um, and some producers do, but you know, the Hervé and his brother Jean-Claude are, are, are quite adamant that, um, to, you know, l l you know, live and let be. <laughs> well, so speaking of kind of those like dirty, funky flavors, um, you brought up a point when we were in Martinique together, and I never got a chance to ask you about it, so I'm going to ask you about it today. Um, 
in Martinique, you've got if it's machine cut cane, you've got what four hours that you have to get it into pressing? Is no, that twenty four hours. Right, well, it's it's technically it's it's written as one day. So one day, and that's even if it's machine cut. If it's machine cut, it's I I, I believe it's technically written as twenty four hours. We all we all basically. You're there uh, under like we have, no we had yeah we abide by uh, same day that's cut same day that's cut uh, same day that's crushed, and um, so typically um, both uh, well Clement for a while and now Jam as of last year uh, we're at two shifts, um, and so we're cutting sugarcane anywhere between like starting about let's say very early in the morning six in the morning till at least two three in the afternoon the distillery won't start <clears throat> rolling until you know eight nine in the morning and we'll go through eight nine at night. All of the sugarcane that is cut that day um, and is delivered is always, always crushed, and that's 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 definitely the internal rule, but it follows and it complies with the with the rules of the AOC, um, and that just maximizes freshness, as you saw right. at uh, JM because of the pr- close proximity of the, well, you know, that the was sugarcane. What I think that's exactly where we were. We were, we were in the cane fields uh, around JM, and you had mentioned that you know if this does not get over to crush immediately the oxidation yeah you lose control very, very well because fermentation will happen right inside the sh- uh, the stocks of the sugarcane so uh, the question i have is that when sugarcane oxidizes so like if that were to sit out there for 24 36 48 or even more hours before that went to crush what kind of flavors might one get into the rum that would be produced afterwards i mean because uh, like, i've had some rums out there that are in agricole style but they are, I mean, just super funky, super uh, mushroomy, just like, uh, I mean, St. George Agricole, California Agricole comes to mind. And I know that cane is being trucked from damn near the Mexican border up to San Francisco before it's crushed. So um, I'm just kind of wondering what that oxidation does and what that leads to in the finished product. <clears throat> so I've never really been specifically around any product like that in Martinique because no one um, produces like that. Um, but simply, uh, I've been around cut shuriken that has not ever been, uh, processed and, uh, it, I grew up at a farm myself and, uh, it reminds me of, uh, of silage, you know, corn silage. And so it can be pretty, uh, aromatic. Uh, it's certainly, uh, that air, you know, those, those aromas, uh, certainly are, like you said, funky and, and, you know, some of the some of the you know the the rums you can imagine could be like you know get that sort of like funky gym socks thing going on to it you know wow, i think pediococcus great smell i think it's a i think it's remarkable actually what how st george does and they and they stay very true to the to what the product that they're making they don't do so much to hide it and quite honestly no, i think they they very much own it yeah and i think that um you know it's more power to to them and on delivering upon what they intend to do and um it's quite you know useful in whatever people want to do with that type of you know with that spirit um but it can be challenging for you know an inexperienced it's uh, a tough, bartender it's a tough uh rum to play with uh i think again it's probably the third time we've given the shout out but uh the rum line in miami beach um has a, a what they call the rum line punch and they use St. george agricole and they uh accent with some basil and some red pepper juice which picks up on those like heavy heavy vegetal notes yep when you start playing with sweeter less savory flavors with it it just doesn't work the reason i asked is because that cholong bay that we tried last week from from uh, uh southern thailand was in that vein uh quite not not quite as uh 
mushroomy and earthy as as maybe uh, the St. George is, but it's in that vein. What I love about St. George is, yeah, like you said, like they own it. It's the guys that are out there that um, sort of misidentify, uh, mislead people on what they're doing and what they want to call an agricultural style. You know, the the one that has just boggled my mind recently is uh, a certain brand that claims that they're making rum agricole by by bringing evaporated cane juice from Colombia to <laughs> California and uh, and um, I challenged the guy I was like well evaporate that means that's sugar no, no no it's evaporated cane juice that's crystals and then we add water to You're it and we make it. a simple syrup no. out of it I'm like no that no. doesn't sound anything remotely to know what I know but right. you know what? Um, never, nevertheless, is like you know, just go and own it. Whatever it is, whatever you're doing, you know, we and I mean, and this could be a, we could lead right into another podcast about oh, totally. what is craft spirits and like you know, right. being transparent and smoke, <laughs> smoke and mirrors, man, smoke and mirrors. Uh, yeah, so well, I mean, bravo to St. George for you know making a great attempt. And by the way, there's some guys down in um in the southeastern part of the United States that are really making a, you know some great spirits. Uh, doing the same thing. Yes. My favorite are the tequilas where they'll age them and then they'll throw them through an RO machine to strip out all the flavorings of it being aged. Yeah. It's like, well, what the hell are you aging it for? But that goes back to what happens in Martinique. I mean, Martinique is the, the, truly, if anywhere else, the champagne, champagne of the rum, rum category all in the whole. When we talk about what is, you know what, I'm going to let you explain what champagne is, Arthur. But, um, but <laughs> How uh, much more when, we we say, when we say the method rum alcohol and what, what we're... Uh, how we do what we do and putting the you know the seal of approval from martinique um you know that allows us to really stand out um you know no not so different than champagne from the rest of the sparkling wines made in france and and elsewhere in europe or, or in the world so talk about a little bit about what you've got in the clement portfolio because you've got some really beautiful expressions I know a lot of uh, what I drink is the uh, the Blanc, uh, the Primerican, the Cambleu. Again, here we go. Again, uh, one more episode where I have to fake that I actually know how to pronounce French words, and I absolutely don't. You're getting better than the last time. <laughs> I'm getting, I am getting better. Uh, but you there was one trip, one, one acid that came out yeah, of that trip to go. Martinique. Well, I, I learned very quickly in Martinique, no one speaks anything but French. Uh, it wasn't like any of my other travels to the Caribbean where you can find maybe that two or three people that speak English or Spanish. That was also my, you know, I can speak Spanish relatively fluently. But yeah, that was, I was lost. Even at Duty Free, she was asking if I had a connecting flight. And I was like, ah, does anybody here speak French? <laughs> I was completely lost. But I mean, you've got a, a, a pretty good wide line. And that's just available here in the U.S. Like even in Martinique, you've got more than that. But yeah, we I probably mean, have maybe a third, maybe 25% of our whole line represent the U.S. And, and I'll be the first one. It's probably too many. But um, as we're uh, an independent family owned company, we have a lot of liberty to do uh, what we want. Um, <clears throat> when I first came to the U.S. and uh, launched from Clermont, um, we started with uh, one white rum, in fact, the one we're enjoying right now, one age rum, the VSOP, and then the Creole Shrub, the Orange Liqueur, and these were by far the three products that we're probably most famous for um, around the world. We really had a lot of uh, high, high hopes for the white rum, because we're talking about 2004, this was the year of uh, Sex and the City and the Cosmopolitan, and mm. Grey Goose had just sold, and everyone's drinking white spirits and white martinis, and um, you know, I hesitated. I, re I mean, I first 
I was that kid that was. I'll like, have to admit, I've never seen Sex in the City, but I've heard about it. And man, that would have been fucking amazing if they would have been like walked into a bar and like, "Can I get three tea punches?" Well, <laughs> even even as I, I'm always the. Uh, I'm always criticized for having the highest dreams, the highest hopes, and um, <laughs> and I'll tell you that was a big high hope at that time. I I, I landed in New York in 2004 and uh, ran around the city with my backpack and went to the very very most famous cocktail programs that we all talk about today and and uh, you know telling me telling having them tell me that I forgot to spell check my labels because I put an H on the label and <laughs> and um, and explain you know that you know that these rums wow. were were rums and that they weren't like you know bad tequila or funky cachaca because no one really had any seen anything like that um and we sort of adjusted at that time the strategy because i really my first sort of big marketing campaign was called save the daiquiri and that happened when i went to mandalay bay and i went to a rum bar called rum jungle uh, <laughs> i've been there i've been there man and uh, no I, oh, this is a was... shout out this is a shout out but in a negative way but oh that place was terrible but going in there and uh <laughs> it's it, not this, there anymore though oh, it's God. gone it's long gone <laughs> it's long gone and asking for a daiquiri and they said oh you know sorry after nine o'clock at night we uh we shut down all the blenders like Great. Can I yeah. can I get a daiquiri? This so is supposed to be, to be the this is supposed to be the best rum bar the country has to offer. And they're like, well, uh, you know, like I was like, you just need a cocktail shaker and some rum. It's like, yeah. okay, well, uh, you know, I don't have any strawberry puree. I'm like, I'm about to jump over the bar. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, awesome. And so, um, you know, no, I was in Panama City and this happened. So like, I went last year. I wanted to go on vacation somewhere. I didn't have a whole hell of a lot of uh, expendable income, and everybody. Here was uh, like, hey, we're all going on vacation. We're going to France. We're going to Spain. We're going to the Pacific Northwest. We're going to wine country, etc. And I just, I literally took a Google map. I zoomed out. I looked at rum producing countries, and, was, and I just started do, using Skyscanner, right? Like, where can I afford to go? Panama came up with a three hundred and fifty dollar round trip ticket. So I'm like, that's perfect. Uh, I got linked up with uh, Carlos Esquivel. Shout out to Carlos and Pancho. You guys are awesome. Thanks for taking care of me last year. But um, I was warned as soon as Carlos Esquivel from uh, Pilsa makes Don Pancho, Rejenes, Caña Brava, etc. Uh, Carlos picks me up and the first thing he says to me is, we do not have a cocktail culture here in Panama City. I just want you to understand that what you have in the U.S. doesn't exist here. So we were uh, that also a couple days later. Is the same for Martinique too. Yeah, I mean, a couple <laughs> days later we were at the uh, Tantalo Hotel in uh, Casco Antiguo. And I went up to the bar, rooftop bar. It's beautiful. You can look out over Panama City and uh, all of downtown. And I asked for a daiquiri in Spanish because no one was speaking English. And uh, the very pretty girl said, we don't have a, a, a blender. I'm sorry, I can't do a, a daiquiri for you. And I said, that's perfect. Exactly what you said, you know. I said, that's perfect. Thank you. Um, and I said, all I want you to do is just take any rum. I don't care what you have on the shelf. Of course, down there, everything's abuelo. Said I need some rum. Just put a little bit of uh, some some sugar in there and some lime, and I'll be happy, and that would be perfect. And she just gave me this look with eyebrows raised, and then she looked over to her boss, and her boss gave her the nod, and in Spanish she said, "Yes, that's how a daiquiri is made." So I, I actually finally ended up with a daiquiri, and we ended up all being great friends. But yeah, I had to teach someone in Central America, a rum-producing nation. Yeah. How to make a three-ingredient drink? Well, I didn't was... get my daiquiri that night, and I'm pretty sure I got thrown out by a bouncer. <laughs> but I've but, been drunk with you. I'm not that's surprised. That's how by we that. started with say the daiquiri, and and then uh, when uh, we've been using the hashtag take back the dac. Yeah, but we but that was our springboard into getting to the conversation uh, the uh, conversation of of tea punch because really, 
the whole idea was to, you know, this is the tea punch thing that we can own. We take propriety, uh, you know, proprietorship of the tea punch. It's very much deeply rooted into the DNA and the culture of, of uh, Martinique and how Rum Agricole came to be. And it really was just sort of like a bridging the gap type of way of bringing that conversation away from really fancy cocktails in an up glass that everyone had had with martinis and cosmos and whatnot into the daiquiri. Um, and then eventually now uh, that old fashions are, are very uh, popular again, yeah. that we can have this conversation with, um, with, with tea punch. And so we started with, you know, high hopes for the white rum, but quite honestly, um, particularly if you follow the Clement uh, history, we're very, very famous, probably more recognized for our age rum portfolio than anything else. Our white rums, for the most part, really very rarely leave the island of Martinique, uh, other than if they go to the country Which, of France. Which, as a side note, I mean, like, when you're in Martinique, when I was in Martinique, I mean, that's what everybody drinks. That's the local drink. Oh, yeah. you, no I, age rum in No Martinique, one is so. drinking the... I mean, the brown spirits thing, and uh, through my travels, that's a very American thing. Right here, just like you are now, tea punch, tea punch, tea punch, tea punch. And then I would also advise anyone that's visiting Martinique, just drink the tea punch and stay away from the cocktail menu. The cocktail menu is for tourists who don't know the difference from a mojito, from a gin and tonic. I mean, (laughs) from talking to several distillers and and spirits professionals, this brown spirits thing is very American-driven kind of market like that is obviously uh the uk as well with scotch but like we in the united states we were looking for brown spirits like that's the premium right like it's been aged so that must be a better value and mm-hmm. and so know. for us that was uh that was kind of a home run as this kind of came around because that's what we've always been doing that's what we've always been very well known for and, and doing very very well yes of course we make the white rum we sell a lot of white rum in Martinique, but as my uncle used to remind me all the time as we got this all started, that we don't make the best uh, age rum unless you first start with the best white rum. But going out into the international markets where we didn't sell any white rum, the thing that was, and when, you know, think about what's happened in the last, you know, in the evolution of people's palates and flavor profile and what they expect to get in the last 20, 25 years, you know, our white rum, as you're drinking now, probably wasn't as palatable as most people would want to have, but they had no problem with VSOP. They had no problem with XO. And we got sort of, we jumped on that bandwagon. We jumped on the coattails of Armagnac and Calvados and Cognac. And we now, Rum Agricole, the French rums, let's say, um, are holding court and are in the same conversation with the other fine, let's say, Mount Rushmore of French fine spirits, Armagnac. So your, your top and, uh, line that you've got available here in the U.S., I mean, you've got the Cuvier Omer, uh, which that, I mean, Omer was the founder of the distillery and yeah. sugar plantation, right? I yes. mean, well, he bought the... He bought the sugar plantation, um, so he was mayor of Le Francois. Um, he, kind of, he became mayor, you know, as, you know he, first he was a doctor, and he became a doctor because, well, let me start from the beginning, he... He earned a scholarship from his studies in Martinique and, and earned a scholarship to go and study in France. And he was in France for nine years. And when he uh, left France after nine years, he is the quote unquote first non-white uh, medical physician, first non-white doctor in French history. He comes back to Martinique as, um, you know, popular, super, super popular. And then has his doctor's practice in Le Francois and becomes mayor. And his, uh, and his good, friend, good friend, the bank, the finance, uh, the finance the financier of, of uh, Francois, um, you know, offered him Domaine de la Cajou, which is on our bottles today as a great uh, sugar plantation that was bankrupt from what we previously referenced, the great sugar crisis. And um, so he bought the, uh, he bought the estate and um, 
and without notice he found out that of course there was a distillery there if they're producing sugar um at this time you, you had more than 300 distilleries all over the island and they were always connected to these small little rum plant uh, i'm sorry sugar plantations and um and around this rallying point was uh, was how he was able to take riding planters who are in his own streets riding against bankrupt plantation owners and get them back in the field and rallying around making rum agricole and and so quite honestly um uh, what is known today as Epitaphon Climol is really the birthplace, the sort of mecca for rum agricole. Even though I mentioned before that you know there was, um, you know these this type of rum was already being experimented with and being released. This is was the rallying point where it's like okay, uh, you know the sugar trade, the 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 standard traditional sugar trade is right. is next to being dead, and um, for us to rally it and and pull our economy and social system and political system out of. The Great Sugar Crisis. This was the way forward, and uh, and no, we're, that's that's family for you. Yeah. So he would be my great uncle, and um, so his son was Charles Clément, and uh, Charles Clément was the really doesn't get any of the credit, and that's really in the personality of Charles Clément and who he was. Um, he was the one that went and studied distillation from and really sugar to rum right Absolutely. that's the link from the sugar plantation to the rum product. that's around world war one well, no this is before that so omer Klimel okay. bought the uh the bought uh Klimel in 1887 and we start to uh make those types of transitions and so by the turn of the century we're producing rum agricole and every you know everyone is slowly making this transition what i meant to say before with world war one is like that's when kind of it's solidified because you have this huge demand and uh, there's not so much sugar. There's not, as in I'm producing so much sugar anymore. There's not so much molasses, and everyone kind of like jumps on the bandwagon and let's go. And at this time, Charles Clément was um, taking over, and he had studied distillation and he had really refined the 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 still and how we're doing what we do. Not just for us, but he shared that with everybody. And you have to believe that um, before this time, or at this time and before, all the rum that was distilled was being, you know, distributed in, in demijohn and in large vats, where people came to the distillery with their own sort of basins. Um, Clément is the first marketed brand, so that went into a bottle with a label, and the first brand was actually Rum Omer Clément. So Charles Clément named the brand after his father, put his face, his father's face, on the front of the label, and. <clears throat> really went out went out there with that um when world war ii comes you have this huge demand for uh distilled spirits again they know where to go from recent history and um and maybe the the i i, I don't know i wasn't there but you know maybe they jumped to the gun or maybe there was this demand but all of the producers rallied around and started producing uh, epic epic amounts of, of rum agricole um so much that there was a, the, a huge surplus. And the surplus actually came to be was that when the Germans invaded France, Charles de Gaulle, the French president at the time, took all of the French treasury, all of the gold, and moved it from France to Martinique in Fort France, the major fort that's in the uh, capital city. And so the German U-boats uh, blockaded Martinique, and the Martinique was ready for to be invaded. Um, so as they were producing all of this rum, nothing was going in and nothing was coming out. So all of the surplus was stored in any sort of random container that they had, ceramic and a lot of wood, uh, you know, a lot of rice and grains and oils and vinegar. The ratio of rum to people was, <laughs> was amazing, right? And so as all of this extra rum is there, when, when, it, they, when they have what they, when they discover what they have, 
they have rum, which we know as Alevi Subar or even Asia. It's got color on it, but the locals, they found that rum was broken. It wasn't white anymore. It was undrinkable. Um, it was Charles Clément who uh, really had the foresight and the vision to say, uh, we can market this as H rum and went to France to do this after the war and went to New York and uh, was able to find that for the same reasons, found there was a huge void for the New York market not to be able to get their French brandies and their, and, uh, the way, or their whiskeys from the UK. And so uh, he came not just on behalf of Clément, but all of the producers from Arnique to um, offer them cognac from the Caribbean. So you, you mentioned the aging of rum, I, and we're, we've gone a little longer than we usually do, but I, I mean, this is, yeah, right. I mean, but no, actually, the big surprise this time is that it's not you and I doing it. <laughs> usually, usually this is me and Arthur, like, not being able to shut our mouths. Uh, in fact, I mean, half the time we talk over our guests. But uh, luckily this time we haven't done so with Ben. But so speaking of aged spirits, and, and this is apart from the rum part of uh, Clement, but the, the VSOP. Right, and and I was reminded of this here a couple hours ago when Ben arrived here for the podcast. There was a 125th anniversary edition of the bottle of the VSOP that was released. Uh, The label was completely different. Uh, In fact, it's um, I believe those bottles are hand painted. Uh, Not not hand painted, but I mean they're they're not like the original. The original, no, it's not a wrap. The original was uh, hand painted. No, it's all painted actually. I believe with acid. Uh, Okay, it's an acid print. So, um, but that was done by John One, who, John if Wan. you know anything about street art, which I'm a big fan of street art, um, that uh, he, John One was one of the originators, I mean, one of the pioneers of street art in, the, in New York in the 70s. Uh, he was tagging like Cars and Queens. Um, he was letterer doing some really amazing stuff, but like somehow you guys have gotten linked up with John One, and uh, like, I'd like to expand on like, that aspect and I know that Clement has has gotten very deep into the art world as well you guys have an art museum on premises correct yeah we have a <clears throat> we have a um, museum gallery um, it started about at least 20 years ago now like maybe 15 years ago uh, with a very 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 small exhibition just in one of our old uh, uh, houses facilities that has now grown up and and now we just released a at the very beginning of this year, we just cut the ribbon on our brand new uh, facility. Um, all comes under the umbrella of Fondation Clément. So yes, it's connected to Rome Clément. It's a separate activity um, where we really believe in, in the arts and, and uh, we're sponsoring rising star, young up-and-coming Caribbean artists. It first starts in Martinique. And so they're, they're all Caribbean artists? For, well, the, the, the artists that we are sponsoring, yes. Um, it continues to grow uh, throughout the Caribbean and, and into France and whatnot. Um, where we basically try to help bring the spotlight onto some really fine young local talent through our exhibitions. We invite a lot of art dealers to come. Um, we don't really have any say in what happens in the business between everything. We just organize the party. Um, Make we introductions. St- yeah, and we then we start to do this in France, um, in galleries in France and whatnot. And uh, so John won. Um, John took you know, notice of this. And also Ben Ayot, the, the gentleman that I um, mentioned before, he's, a, he's an art fanatic. And um, so there was certainly a conversation between them. And, um, and uh, John made a couple visits to Clement to see what we're doing. And, and uh, John is uh, of Caribbean descent, uh, raised in uh, Spanish Harlem. And uh, well, as Ed had said, was 
in the streets of, of New York, uh, tagging uh, streetcar, uh, subway cars and, and walls and whatnot, and, and uh, you know, became noticed and, and uh, is quite famous now. He lives in France now. and, and very, very famous. He's got very, one of the most expensive or... Like, the most expensive street artist mural. Oh, it is, uh, oh. It is absolutely the most... I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure they're always outgunning each other, but, I mean, John... <laughs> right. John is one of the John is a, a remarkable, humble, and very talented human being. And um, anyway, we're very lucky that uh, he wanted to to work on this project with us. It's the first ever commercialized project that he's ever done. And from there, you know, he has the also the bottle is beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it's a very cool like street art style bottle. It was um, meant to be. It's not really about the rum in the bottle because, as we you said, it's VSOP, so you can buy VSOP. It's about the bottle itself, and really, you know, you're talking about a gentleman whose you know, whose paintings are going upwards of well over a hundred thousand dollars all the time, and you pick up one of these bottles at you know your local store for like forty dollars. It's not really about the liquid inside the bottle. It's it's about the bottle itself and and him and himself and and from there, I mean, the kind of springboard where he's done special designs for um, you know very high-end bottles of cologne uh, he did a big project with Perrier with something like 13 million well, bottles of Perrier that reminds me of a story you told me when I first met you I think it was the very first time I met you you talked about uh, going around New York and you had a gala to attend with John one and you stopped into a liquor store yes that had had ordered it but had not re yet received their product they received it the day of oh, that okay we came all in. right it, this is one of my favorite stories in the rum world like the, this is the, well. This is a real testament to the personality of John, and this is why I really love the guy. Um, we went to a small little merchant uh, right down the street from where the uh, the event we were having the launch party, and um, and I actually made you know we set up the event and um, and then I you know the we had reached out to several different retailers uh, in in the area to say look we're having this big event you know a lot of press a lot of publicity. Um, it's a special launch. It's a you know it's a collectible item, limited edition. Um, you know you should buy in, and we're gonna get a lot of press for it, and 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 a lot of them did. And then it was very much like, you know, in one day, one out the next day type of scenario. And and then just taking a look at you know some reports that we tried to visit about f we tried to visit four uh, shops that had bought in. A lot. I mean, a lot being about 30 bottles or 60 bottles. And um, and I wanted to just, you know, we had some time and I had John with me and I said, let's go meet, you know, the manager, let's go meet the store owner and whatnot. And maybe he'll sign a bottle just as a say thank you. And it was right there, sort of the neighborhood. Well, the last spot was this brand new store, brand new store that had been open about seven or eight days. And, um, and it was really like literally a block away or two blocks away from where we had the event. So they jumped in, you know, more or less because of the location, we were right next to the event, and and we so, so we saved that spot for last, and we meet the guy, and he's from the Upper West Side, and 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 John's from the Upper West Side, but John's from Harlem Upper West Side. This gentleman was not so much from that same. They weren't from the same Upper West Side, but they like immediately was like you know they were trying to connect. They're you know both boys from the hood, and um, and then uh, it was you know. When I, and, and I'm watching my watch. I am watching my watch. I'm like, look, we have this event coming. I'm like, hey, John, like, let's go. Hey, you know, they, they keep on talking and all this stuff. Hey, hey, John, why don't you uh, sign the bottle? We got to get going. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and so the place was so new that um, he didn't have all of his, like, racks up yet. And he hadn't really had, you know, he had, you could still smell the fresh white paint on the walls right. and whatnot. And so um, 
And so the guy made a joke like, oh, sign a bar. Why did you sign the wall? And, you know, you say that to a graffiti artist. It's like, oh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> like, and then the guy was like, so John like picks up his stuff and he's like, oh, wait, no, I was just kind of kidding. Uh, yeah, here's the bar. I was like, and John's like, wait, do you, you don't want me to sign the wall? You want me to sign the wall? He's like, oh, I'll go ahead, do the wall. What's the worst thing that can happen? I'll just paint over it. So I was like, my jaw is now on the floor. Like, I can't believe this. Can I say jackass? <laughs> this jackass just said that. And, uh, and John handed himself his perfect poise. And, and he's like, no, no, that's not the worst thing you can do. The worst thing you can do is you let me paint this and then you cover it up. And that's definitely the worst thing to do. The best thing you can do is let me paint this and then tell everyone that I just painted this and then charge $35 entrance at the door to have everyone come in and check it out. Would you like me to paint the wall? <laughs> and that was about two years ago plus and that painting is still there and he never put shelves over that painting ever. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. And it's I'm right sure. there. And yeah, it's I remember cool. when the first time you, you told me that story, you said, you know, like, uh, what's, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. And, and, and John said something of the effect of like, well, the worst thing that could happen would be Oh, you Google me and you, you paint over it and you go, right. Yeah. yeah you, that's you what Google he says. my name tomorrow. He's like, you, you paint over it and then you Google me and you're like, and you're like, oh, you, <laughs> you should be putting that uh, yeah. frame around the portion yeah. of the wall where the name is. Well, before we wrap up today, we always uh, start every episode the same way, which we didn't uh, today because, you know, we're drinking tea punches again. Uh, I, I see a running theme, but then again, we are the Shift Drink podcast, so I guess we, 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 drink while we're recording but uh so i guess uh the the first question that we typically start the episodes with well typically we're like only a few episodes in we've only done it like maybe half the time but uh what what did you drink last night as if i have to ask i'm sure it was a tea punch but uh i've got the most boring answer no what what, what do you got uh, i was drinking tea <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't right. know. I don't know. And I mean, I'm 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 traveling a lot, and uh, sure. so last night was my uh, very few one of my very few nights at home. And I, um, not to say that I don't drink at home, but um, I I I ingest enough while I'm working around. Sure. So, sure. So I can't sit there and lie to you and say that I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't, uh, but it was also Sunday night. I, I can also tell you I was in bed by like nine thirty. <laughs> uh, sure. Well, the final answer is a little bit different. Uh, do you have a hangover cure? Uh, tea punch. <laughs> right. That's go. the best answer right there. That's a two-word fucking answer right there. Uh, actually, you don't actually, it's a three-word answer. Decollage. 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 Right. Why don't you explain what decollage is? For oh, what are you asking me? I can't speak French. I'm asking you. But you know what decollage That's is. That's the um, the kind of separation, right? Like the No, decollage uh, is the French word for takeoff. So that's your first tea punch of the oh, day. Oh, the decollage, the first... See, oh, so the, the the word takeoff, so like I've seen a, you I've hear decollage, yeah, you hear you hear decollage as if you were to get on a plane and take off for France, like the pilot would say, "Be ready for takeoff." So he'd say decollage, but the first tea punch of your day, it's the first supposed to be the first caloric intake of the day. It's really? To, yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Well, I'll subscribe to that. Yeah. Uh, no. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on the show. Of course, ben, my pleasure. And yeah, thank you, yeah, Arthur. I mean, this was super amazing. We've, un, like. Accidentally uh, done several Rome episodes here in a row here, but like that's no surprise considering my preferences, considering right? Rome. Yeah, 
Just expect a run of champagne and uh, or grower champagne and, and, and sake episodes to uh, come up. Oh, I'm yeah, I'm totally down. We need to get some of the folks from Espita in uh, Washington D.C. on the show here. Um, hey, like real cool cats. Shout out here to uh, to Megan Barnes reaching out to you. Bismarck, if you're listening, hey, uh, we'd like to have you guys into Indy or maybe it's an amazing we'll, bar in DC, guys. We'll truck out to see you guys. Uh, the owner, you, I didn't get a chance to hang out with the owner of Espita, but you did. I got his card and I sent him one of my agave presentations. I can't remember. Real nice cat, though. Yeah, it's a it's an amazing place. If you're in Washington DC, definitely check out Espita Mascaria. Um So absolutely. Until next time, um, drink rum Agricole, uh, drink rum Clement, JM de Mosso. Um, Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Very informative. No, thank, thank you. Until Cheers. next time, I'll continue practicing my uh, French accent. <laughs>